0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Buddy, and welcome to the 402nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's trained our velociraptors to fetch pennies out of the wishing fountain. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, aka at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the developments of the week. But before I do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby.
0: MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to see 5% off your order. Support this podcast, and I'm quite certain they'll have an excellent Black Friday sale launched very shortly here.
1: Oh, yeah, they've had some great deals, and we've gotten some great – I know I've gotten some great stuff from them is I got a sweet, sweet ampersand T not long ago. I love it.
0: Very true. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week?
1: This week we're gonna lead off with our metagame Week in Review. We've got a lot of modern to talk about, some great data to look at and see where things are going. Segment two is our top movers of the week in paper, followed by the top movers online. Segment four has our cards to watch. You and I have some picks for places that could go well in value. And then, for the week, uh we're really gonna get into uh, this awesome table for all of star City's modern, right? That's what this is from you said
0: well, we're doing it. we're gonna go over that here at the start, so I think uh, I think given all the guests recently, we will take a break on the weekly topic.
1: Oh man, man, I get to go to t- take a nap Well, well if, we do we do you have you the, Lara,
0: the we, we do have the Lara Croft secret layer to go over, but that's about it.
1: There is Lara so. Croft to talk about. And I even made a pick about Lara Croft, So let's talk about Lara Croft.
0: Kicking things off, we have the metagame Week in Review. We're looking at two big uh, paper modern tournaments over the last couple weeks here. The first one is the SUG Modern 10K in Pittsburgh with 287 players. We have Black Green Yawgmoth taking this down with Hammer Time in 2nd, Black Red Scam in 3rd, 4th, and 8th, another dominant showing for that deck. Amulet Titan in 5th, Shardless Rhinos in 6th, and another Black Green Yawgmoth in 7th. Over in France at the Relic Fest main event... With, uh, I think it was 300 plus players. They had Mono Black Coffers take the whole thing down with four Profane Tutor, four Carn the Great Creator, four The One Ring, and four Orcish Bone Masters. Black Red Scam did make an appearance in second and sixth, four Color Shardless Rhinos in third, Living End in fourth, Heliod Combo in fifth, and probably the most notable deck, the Blue Black Control deck that we've seen a little bit of in Magic Online results showing up here. With four The One Ring, four Bow Masters, two Shieldred, and a bunch of blue-black control cards. Overall, these these results look very similar to what we see online. I suspect a lot of that is due to most people doing a lot of their play testing and getting comfortable with decks online, and then building them in paper to play at these events.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to be said for when you know a deck. When you've gotten in the reps with the deck, you know what's going on with it, and you're you're okay with your bad matchups. You know what to do to minimize the the angles and you can take care of business with everything else. So I think you're right. People are playing what they know and modern's in a pretty healthy place. We, we always have a lot of talk about Black Red Scam and we'll get more into that. But I think that given the rotation and the number of decks we see going on, that I, I would say modern's in a pretty happy place.
0: Well, it's interesting to look at the win percentages overall. Because out of 439 matches at the Star City Games tournament, we have a chart that shows us how Rack- the Black Red Scam decks did, and they had a 54% win rate overall, which is pretty strong. However, Hammer Time was at 56% over 181 matches. The Black Ring Yawgmoth was at 57% over 152 matches. Amulet Titan was at 54%. Hardened Scales was at 62%, which is very high. Over 102 matches, so it wasn't like it was just one player's stats uh, polluting the data there. And then Monoblock Black Coffers, even though it took down the main event in Europe, also had a 58% uh, average over 74 matches. So you had one, two, three, four, five other archetypes that were at least as good as Black Red Scam. Now, part of that could be that the the meta is so heavy with Scam that most decks are overcompensating in the sideboard department or in terms of archetype choice to have the best possible game against Scam, and so that Scam in a more random field, you know, a blind field might have a higher percentage, but it's being squeezed down a little bit off the top from its ever presence in the format.
1: Well, then the question begs: if everybody is ready for uh, Scam, And if there were, you know, 439 matches where the next highest data point is Hammer Time at 181, there's a ton of Black Red Scam. A ton of people are ready for it. If people hadn't been so ready for it, what might the win percentage have been? If we were looking at a 58% win percentage for uh, this deck over this many matches, we'd be, you know, thinking about maybe they're right about Modern not being healthy. But this is with everybody, you know, getting stuff out there i don't know what the big sideboard tech is against scam i don't know that you can have a single answer for some of the shenanigans that they got going on but you know this is a powerful showing even with everyone knowing this is a big game a big part of the meta game you had better be ready for it whereas you can reasonably make the presumption that you're maybe 50-50 to face a Hammer Time deck in a 8-round tournament. You know, there's no guarantees about it. But if you're asking people, what do you know you're going to end up playing against, they'll all say, I'm, I'm ready for Scam. It's going to happen.
0: The other thing to consider is that Scam might be the deck that gets the, the most net decking going on. Meaning the people that sure. just copy and paste the deck and build it don't necessarily have the reps in. And it's possible that because there was more than twice as many scam decks as any other deck in this tournament, and in some cases five times as many, uh, even with considering major archetypes, that there's just a lot more unpracticed players polluting the data. And if you look at the, say, top 50% of the scam players, the the percentage might be well over 60
1: well, I'd expect that if you're looking at the best, your win rate goes up. Uh, that's that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's also true that scams hard. You've got to plan out everything that's going to happen over the next couple turns. Yes, you get the two grief triggers. That's the main thing I think of when I think of scam. Is you know double thought sees action early on. But if you are not, what, what's the word I want here? If you are not proficient enough with the metagame and what the different decks are doing it's going to be pretty easy to choose the wrong cards out of what you're taking out of their hand and rather than destroying their will to live you're just setting them back and they're saying okay i can handle this i can do this i've got my important card left
0: i guess what i'm getting at is even though the scam percentage was only 54 which was you know well above 50 but below several other archetypes it still put three in the top eight so and, right. and that suggests to me that the top pilots are are overachieving versus other archetypes because we're seeing that consistently in Magic Online as well. Two to three scam decks per top eight with a smattering of other things. So I think it's still a deck to watch in terms of ban potential. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets hit in some way in the next six to 12 months. And I don't think it would be a massive... Uh, upset to the format because it's entirely possible as we've talked about in the past that they'll go after a couple of the enabling pieces as opposed to the elementals themselves in which case they'll just be aiming to tune it down a couple percentage points in the meta at which point it's probably totally fine to stay
1: yeah you and i have talked about this before that we don't think they're going to ban the elementals ahead of modern horizons 3 because it's the most likely spot to reprint those elementals so i agree that some of the accessory cards may go uh, do you think something like uh, Voidwalker would be the ban and try and lower Scam by a couple percentage? I know it's not. Uh, it's no. not always a four of.
0: No, as as we've talked about in the past, I think it's much more likely to be the enabling uh, return right. from graveyard. Cards. The
1: one mana return spells. Yeah,
0: yeah, because they they don't really All affect right. the rest of the format, and the, and the format there's just doesn't. So many. Yeah, but so what? Like, say there's like seven car of uh, you know seven variants of a card that no other archetype plays. It's no big deal to put that on the list because nobody else needs it. If it's something like Counterspell or Lightning Bolt, it has such a huge ripple effect because it's played in so many different decks. But when it's when it's less utilitarian and more thematically synergistic, specific to an archetype, I think it's totally fine. And, and then they just need to get smarter about what they're printing because they printed that variant, variants of that card, you know, comes back from the graveyard with a counter on it or whatever, many, many, many times in the last five years. And maybe that card is just too good for modern. So, moon right along. But we've yeah, got the not top, too
1: good for limited
0: Yeah. Top Sorry, paper movers. Uh Sauron the Dark Lord borderless poster version 34 to 45 on early targeting. It looks like people are realizing that these borderless poster cards were not nearly as easy to pull out of the holiday collector boosters. Uh as they would be otherwise and there is no such thing as a set booster box or a draft booster box for this release where you can pull them out and create a wider distribution so if those cbs have kind of already had their moment and we're already in a steep decline on the opening pattern for them then it's entirely possible that going after some of the best of them is a worthwhile endeavor they do look fantastic in hand Uh, I was a good boy this time and didn't open my full case of Lord of the Rings holiday collector boosters. I just opened, uh, I think, a single box and did pretty well. Got a wandering, got a Orcish Bowmasters foil scroll, etc. But I didn't hit a serialized. So then the very next box I sell to this guy out on the east coast of Canada. uh, He's very excited to get it. And he was talking about how he wanted to hit a serial and I was like oh yeah good luck with that thinking you know that's nearly impossible sure enough he sends me a picture of Soar on the Dark Lord number 78 and I'm just like okay yeah luck intact but I did pass it on to someone else so I guess that's a good thing
1: are, are you are you trying to make me feel bad for you James is that what you're trying to do here because I'm over here stifling laughter because it feels <laughs> rude to laugh at you for this so I'm just going to say like how would you like me to respond I'll, I'll,
0: I'll be lucky I'll I'll be lucky to get any sympathy whatsoever on this topic, given the number of polls I've made. So I'm I'm happy for him. It's a gorgeous card, and he actually it as soon as he showed gore- it to yeah, me, really. I was like, "Do I actually just want to buy this back for him for more than he paid me?" Because it's pretty nice.
1: It is very nice. Nazgul five fifty one.
0: Yeah, they are Nazgul five fifty one show, showcase scrolls version six fifty to nine fifty. That's forty six percent gains. This isn't particularly surprising me. The foil Nazgul from the first release have not dropped on the re-release because the new Nazgul are just as rare as the old Nazgul. And if you prefer regular border versus scrolls, maybe you don't care about the new release at all. And uh, personally, I think the the new scrolls frame works kind of almost best with the Nazgul. It, they they have like a ancient, decrepit kind of feel. Uh, to the cards still using all the same art they didn't get a premium you know surge foil at a really high drop rate or anything it's just the same thing the Nazgul basically has mythics in the form of uncommons and so I'm not particularly surprised to see people biting off some to test the waters this thing has been almost bought right out like there's hardly any of Nazgul 551 non-foil left on TCG player which definitely looks like targeting but maybe successful given how hard they are to pull
1: They are difficult to pull. That's true. I'm bringing up my list of uh, pulls right now, and I will tell you what exactly the number is in just a moment. But you're you're right. Do you think that somebody is going after just one Nasgul in order to prevent people from getting the set? Because we know to gatekeep on sets. Yeah,
0: to gatekeep on sets. That's entirely possible. The I mean, I'm looking at the. See, five five one is down. I mean, it's not almost sold out. It's If I go to foils, there's several still left at a reasonable price point. At non-foil, there's only nine listings and nobody's got more than four copies. So, And, and it's a very steep ramp up towards 20. So it's entirely possible somebody decided to try and gatekeep this version.
1: Yeah, so you are... We, we actually talked about this uh, offline a couple of weeks ago. Because there's two slots where you can pull the Nazgul in the showcase and the silver foil. And then two slots where you can nab it in non-foil. And so 1 in 20 packs will give you any Nazgul. 1 in 20 of the you know special edition collector boosters. I'm saying like it's a regular pack. And so if you want a specific Nazgul in foil, you're around 1 in 360 packs. Because you got two cracks added. Otherwise, otherwise it would be every 720 packs good luck these are hard to find
0: yeah if i was going after one of these it it wouldn't have been the one five five one i probably would have tried to cut off seven two five i think seven two five is the most dynamic art and because it has a light background it uh the the low contrast scenario of the way they set the the saturation up on these cards works better um a lot of the other ones kind of just blend into each other uh, anyway, we've also got delighted halfling surge foils being targeted early, 650 to 950. That's a card that shows up in the black green moth deck that continues to do well in modern, and it's a, a very solid EDH card. Tom Bombadil, the border- borderless poster version, going 15 to 25 on early targeting. Elder Deep Fiend foils out of Eldritch Moon, going five to ten dollars. That's four color beanstalk uh, use in modern, where you can do silly things like flash in the Elder Deep Fiend on. Top of an emergent Fury or Solitude or one of the other elementals and get just ridiculous value out of the exchange. We've also got a Raxa Empress of Mars Surge Foils at a Doctor Who going $3 to $6, a card people have probably realized is better in EDH than they originally thought. Mount Doom borderless poster has been drained down to almost nothing. The foil versions of that card have gone 30 to 70. There's like three copies left between 70 and 80. And that's it on TCG player.
1: Yeah, it's pretty wild. You're about one in 250 packs to pull a surge foil. I'm sorry. That's the surge foil. Uh, the posters, you're about one every 180 packs or so.
0: Uh, yeah, this this isn't a surge foil. This is the borderless foil.
1: Oh, the borderless of, of, foil. Let's see. Of,
0: of the poster cards, yeah.
1: The non-foils at 180, so it's every 360 packs or so. Give or take.
0: Yeah, there's also a surge foil and the surge foil of Mountain Doom is with the uh, the regular art, not the poster art, and those were like 5 bucks Correct. or whatever. So, this is yeah. this is very very, <laughs> very much a, a series of attempted cornerings on these holiday releases merfolk sovereign foils out of m10 going four to 11 that's going to be merfolk hype and i'm assuming that is the single printing of that card and foil
1: i believe so i wrote about merfolk a couple of weeks ago and this was on the list of cards that did not get reprinted and that people would want to have when they make a new merfolk deck
0: uh, it looks like there is one, it was actually M10 and M11 back-to-back printings, but hasn't been printed since then, and the M11 is no easier to find. This one we've got at 11, as the M10 version, the M11 is down to one copy at 11 near mint. So yeah, I mean, this is this is a merfolk lord that can make merfolk unblockable. There are plenty of big merfolk in the new Exelon set, and if you're building a blue-green merfolk deck for commander, you're probably going to want the Sovereign involved. Finally, we have Dinosaurs on a Spaceship Extended Art Foils 8 to 24 on the back of Dino Hype. That's a 200% gain and not particularly surprising uh, heading into dinosaur season.
1: Yep, sell it if you got it. Always want to sell into Hype. Dinosaurs are cool, but they're not going to be cool forever.
0: The Surge Foils are down to 13 listings and started at about $17, heading up a ramp steeply to 30 So people may also want to take a look at those. Doctor Who... You know, if Lord of the Rings holiday has two or three months worth of cracking still to go, even if it's on a steeply declining uh, curve, Doctor Who is an even faster, even steeper curve decline. So the best of Doctor Who cards, as we called very early on, uh, may well be big gainers. And we've seen some evidence of that so far.
1: Do you think we're going to end up with somebody opening a a big crack job on a lot of leftover Doctor Who since its popularity wasn't quite as high as... Might have been anticipated. Very possible. Okay.
0: Top Magic Online Movers of the Week. Lotus Field out of M20. 10.53 ticks to 14.55. 38% gains. That is on a lack of reprint and its ubiquity as a four of in the popular Pioneer deck of the same name. Hull Breacher is, of course, banned in Commander but not in Legacy and has been seeing some gains there. 7.89 ticks to 13 ticks. 65% gains as it counters things like the One Ring. Get somebody on a big activation for three or four cards, steal them all, and away you go. We've also got Caves of Chaos Adventurer out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, 13.63 ticks to 25.92. That's 90% gains. You most often see that card brought to the table in legacy games in the right red-white initiative decks that also include 4th Aer- Erolingus
1: initiative is only on four mana and up net cards now right they don't have anything that's a three drop with initiative left season
0: mm, season dungeoneer was banned in legacy yeah is that true
1: i'm pretty sure that's the one that got banned Oh, no, season dungeoneer is legal it's a four drop
0: just trying to think if the the cards in eldraine were monarch cards i think they are monarch cards yeah, so like something like Court of Garen out of Wilds of Drain commander was uh their monarch card. So yeah, I think you're right about the initiative being 4 and up, which is why they had to pivot into using the the four drops.
1: Yeah. White Plume Adventurer was the one banned in Legacy. That was the three drop one.
0: Right. Seasoned Dungeoneer is the four drop then.
1: The four drop, yeah. You're allowed to have the four drop in Legacy. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. I mean, the thing is that for those decks, that can still be turn two because they're playing like Ancient Tomb. So they go, yeah, they can just go Plains, Chromox, or Ancient Tomb, and then next turn play any land, and they're good to go. So uh they can still be out plenty early. Moving on over to cards to watch, my uh, selection this week is going to be an extension of my Judge Foils a comma call from last week. During that discussion, I mentioned that there was still plenty of the borderless Commander Masters art sitting around that just came out a few months ago, but as I took another look at that this afternoon, I saw that they've been drained down pretty hard as people have gone in pretty, t- pretty uh, extensively on the, dino- the key Dinosaur cards. We're down to 38 listings on Zakamas, and if we look at the Zakama Foils sales data over on TCG Player looking at Near Mint English, you're looking at... Just on the 14th alone, you sold five copies. So, to, for a premium version of a card to be selling more than one or two copies a day means that it is extra hot uh, at the moment. You see a pretty clear uptick from under $5 in early October on this card up to seven currently. And I'm going to say this is probably going to go seven to 13 to 16 in short order here because the ramp up past 10 is relatively. Uh, steep and there are very few vendors with more than one copy in stock that leads me to believe that another 50 or 100 commander players are going to reach out for this version of the card at a sub you know a sub 10 dollar price point and push it up into a new plateau
1: so this is the uh the cartoon triple head looking one right yep all right i'm i'm with you on this this is a a good card. We know that uh, other versions of the card have gotten expensive. This is definitely... Like, this is only... The the regular art is on almost everything except for the Judge Foil, which you picked last week, and this version, which is a little more cartoony. There's no, no getting around that. But it also really does stand out, and we do love our cards that are visually unique. So having this in... Uh, getting this cheap... And especially in shiny cheap, I'm all for it. And we're going to see a lot of dinosaurs go crazy now that people can buy uh, Ixalan as of uh, this coming Friday, right? They're just a couple days until it's legal. To... Yeah, because no, I've got a stack of stuff that I've...
0: It's been for sale since pre-release, so last weekend.
1: Oh, Zakama has, you're right. But I mean, people are going to be adding more to their dinosaur decks. And uh, this should definitely be on the list of things that they add to the decks. You are right.
0: Speaking of the judge promo from mentioned last week, there's about 10 copies near my price point left on TCG Player, and then you've got those decent-sized chunks near 50, 12 copies in one vendor's hand, 13 in the other, that need to be blown past. And then you're looking at 50, 60, 70, sky's the limit, depending on how deep people go on the dinosaurs beyond the, the early speculation action. So, what is your first selection this week?
1: So, I've got uh, two speculative picks based on stuff that will be coming out. One of them, we're going to talk about Lara Croft and her uh, secret lair that will be coming out soon. But there's a card that goes really well into Lara Croft, and that is Tenza, Godo's Maul, the legendary artifact equipment out of Champions for Kamagawa that has had no reprints uh, since its original printing, Way back in 1990, oh, well, that was uh, 2004, I'm sorry. I'm used to looking at what the date is on the copyright, and this was back when they had 93 to 2004 on there. So, in case you forgot, it's...
0: no foil reprint. It did get a reprint in... No foil reprint. Dominaria United Commander.
1: Right. So, I'm I'm talking about the foils, and it's three mana for uh, legendary equipment. It only equips for one... Uh, A Crypt creature gets 1 1. If it's legendary, it gets an additional 2 2. And if it's red, it has trample. So for one mana, your legendary commander gets, uh, your legendary red commander gets plus 3, plus 3 and trample. It's pretty disgusting. Lara Croft loves loves legendary things to play around with, as we're going to discuss. And the foils are nearly non existent. You can find uh, lightly played foils for around $10. I think that's the easiest play here in North America. If you've got access to uh, European markets, there might be... I know there's a lot more of those available uh, in near mint or excellent copies, but there's almost none available near mint, and I'm picking it to go, the lightly playeds, to go from $10 to 30 I think that once people start buying this card, then it's going to just go absolutely crazy.
0: The question, of course, is how long is the delay on the Lara Croft secret layer getting into our hands? Because if it's sure. a one-month delay for the First Orders to start landing versus a six-month delay, that can make a big difference in terms of whether it catches fire and Commander. Once the hype cycle has moved past, it may just completely slip under the radar, as I think you know happened with the uh, Stranger Things Commanders. Two, two of them, I think it was Will and uh, I forget who the second one was, just like uh, finished first in a big CDH tournament. But It was the of, red
1: I, blue one plus Will, yeah. Yeah, the, the white the black sharpshooter. The
0: red, sharpshooter, yeah. So, anyway, Lara Croft Tomb Raider is teamer colors for a 3 4 first strike reach human ranger. And when she attacks, you exile up to one target legendary artifact card or legendary land card from a graveyard and put a discovery counter on it you can play a card from exile with a discovery counter on it this turn so basically you can steal an artifact or a land out of somebody's yard and and play it for free at the end of combat on your turn if if she attacked this turn sorry if you attacked at all this turn create a treasure token so that's pretty sweet because you can it's nice to have the maul that you're calling on her to give her trample first strike reach make her a 6-7, so she's very likely to get in on her own, but she also gets her you know, uh, second benefit, if anything, on your team attacks. So if you don't have a clean attack for her, you can hold her back and at least get half the value, start building up some treasures. Overall, it looks like a fun commander to build around, and I won't be surprised if Maul continues to get completely ignored, especially in foil, just because it's so off the radar in terms of reprint equity. Uh, not being a particularly expensive card in its own right in non-foil, and having had a printing just last year in a commander deck could well be years before we see it again.
1: I know that uh, I I have one foil copy left over from when I had a Zergo Smasher deck, and this is the perfect card for any aggressive commander. So even if Lara doesn't pan out and it continues to be ignored, this is a card that, that should trend upwards. And like I said... If you can get your cheap copies in a different continent, uh, you'd be better able than I would to look up the Japanese market quickly. Then uh, there's also a good chance of arbitrage going on because I saw some copies that were near mint foils for under five euros when I looked at the European market.
0: Also really good in Ishin Two Heavens as one decks, where you want to double up on your attack triggers. Um so it's not, it's not like Lara's the only source of demand. And I think if we're looking at the last month, uh, Ishin was in the top 10. Yeah. Uh, top 10 commanders of the last month are Atraxa Praetor's Voice, uh, My Beloved One and Only, Your Ur-Dragon in second, <laughs> Lathro Blade of the Elves in third, Wilhelm in fourth, Miriam Sentinel Worm in fifth, creating double duty demand for key dragon cards. Yuriko the Tiger Shadow in sixth. Gishath, Sun's Avatar, bursting up in the seventh. Prosper, Tomebound in eighth. Sauron the Dark Lord in ninth. And Ishin to Heavens as one in tenth. So, uh... uh this, this is
1: good on Sauron and good on Prosper as well, although Prosper probably doesn't want to do too much attacking with this.
0: Well, I mean, he's got Death Touch, so he's already hard to block. And... Death
1: Touch Trample, no less.
0: Yeah. Uh, so... Moving on to my second pick, I'm going to go with Necropotence confetti foils. These are out of the recent Wilds of Eldraine Enchanting Tales subset and they started real high on pre-order like around 130 to 150 and have since come down to a pretty steady looking high 60s low 70s kind of price point at retail. They're probably closer to 80 or 90. And Necropotence of course is in 91,000 decks on EDH rec. Uh, you know, just couple hundred thousand people to play this card on a regular basis. One of the best card draw spells in black ever and just one of the best card draw spells, period. The inventory is relatively shallow for a, for a new card. I mean, there are definitely plenty of listings still out there if I'm looking at the confetti foils as of this afternoon, we're looking at 39 listings for these and almost nobody has more than one copy. The ramp is relatively steep from the low 70s up through the 80s and 90s that you might only have a chance for 5, 10, 15 people to buy this under $80. And as a result, given the pedigree of the card, the quality of the art, the anime sub-theme here, I would imagine, and, and some collectability for people trying to pull together all the Enchanted Tales. Also the fact that they're not any cheaper in Europe and they're twice as expensive in Japan. English is mm. 20,000 yen in Tokyo on Haryuya. So that's close to about 140 or so. Um, and with no opportunities to get them cheaper and import them to interrupt your flow I think 70 low 70s to 110 to 120 is not a crazy prediction for the 12 to 18 month price point the other thing to consider here is there are plenty of versions of necropotence out there but this is one of those cards where a really good version will excel regardless same thing as we've seen with smothering tithe mana crypt etc like i haven't adjusted down any of my prices on double masters versions of smothering tithe and i still sell them like every few days it's in japanese on ebay constantly and you would have thought that you would absolutely have had to adjust down given that they just gave us new ones with enchanting tales but that's just not the case and several of these enchanting tales confetti foils have been are still very expensive. Like the Ristic Study is four hundred plus, Smothering Tithe is two forty, doubling season, which is almost certainly gonna get another reprint in January. Uh, is at one forty, omniscience at one hundred twenty five, and Necroponents is in fifth place in this. to $80 $80 range, so it looks uh, well-positioned given that any time they print it, it's very unlikely to be a Rare. It's almost certainly going to be a Mythic, which means the fancy version of some future iteration is still likely to be expensive.
1: My only complaint about this particular pick is that while there there aren't a lot of copies around, it's true, we're we're at a very low number of copies, and uh, we... We don't have a lot going on. We also have like a a relatively slow velocity of sales here, and I see where you're coming from. You're right on all those counts. It's just going to take a while before you get to resell it at the the price you're looking for, and I don't think there will ever be a huge velocity for Necropotence. Like it's it's a pretty niche card unless somebody really hypes it up on a. a A podcast or a video series or something
0: well i mean i definitely wouldn't call it niche it's a it's a super stable
1: well it's hard to cast at triple black so you're not gonna it it's got a a lot of edh inclusion i'll give you that but it's also got a lot of copies out there already and while this is the neatest version this isn't selling terribly quickly right now i i see where you're coming from and i I agree that the price will go up on this eventually. It's just that I I don't want to tie things up for too long when there's, you know, uh, I'm hoping for higher velocity on things where I have a, a planned out for it. I have an event where if, you know, if I buy some foil Tenzo Godo's go Mall and Lara Croft doesn't make it take off, I can just, you know, take loss and, and sell them and move on. Whereas with this, I, I know that I'm fighting against another, a lot of other copies. So I, I agree that it will go up. I, just, I, I wish that we were waiting for a sign that it was increasing in buy rate because we sold one today and then there was one sale 10 days before that.
0: Yeah, but before that, it was like it was more like the average isn't usually a ten day gap. It's more like a, a one to three day gap, which is totally normal for a card that's close close to a hundred dollars. Um, when we see sure. when you see a hundred dollar card moving any faster than that, it usually means something's up. And Necropons definitely doesn't have any specific boost. Hundred percent concede that point. It's just that it's in every black deck because there's, you almost never have a reason not to run it. One other counter though that could that is certainly worth mentioning is that we, we did get just in the last year, another amazing version of this card in foil. The version from the 30th anniversary countdown kit is also gorgeous. Uh, and.
1: Oh yeah. Is,
0: is sub $30. So that's got to draw off some demand from the confetti foils. That being said, confetti can... foil is a different level of scarcity yeah. versus the countdown kits. And there's a reason there's that big gap between them. And it's not like the countdown kit drew the confetti foil down to 30 bucks. Right. Which is often what people think happens as pertains to reprints that's that some cheaper equivalent art version of the card is going to force the other one down when in fact it's often about absolute scarcity. Right, it's it's about the total demand versus the actual number printed, and in this case, those confetti foils are very hard to find, which is why the wristic study can hold four hundred dollars. So uh, I think it's is is a slow. slow I, I think it is a slow burner. Like I I named Sacom at zero to six months. I'm saying twelve to eighteen plus on this one. I wouldn't right. be surprised for you to like add a, a version of this to your collection and then three years later pull it out and realize that it's drained down to nothing and, and doubled in price as a result. So it's it's the kind of card where if you can play it for a while, double sleeve it, protect it, and then bring it out later to sell, that's going to be like the ideal scenario.
1: That is a good scenario, and that reminds me, I got to get a version for my IRA deck. Thanks for the reminder. My second pick this week is related to one of the Fallout commanders. We know there's an energy commander coming, and we saw some of the energy cards go crazy. But we're all uh, talking Dr. Madison Lee, the uh, the what Jeskai colored energy commander and i was thinking about proliferate and good things with that and i noticed that sword of truth and justice hasn't really uh gotten a reprint since it's secret layer drop so it was an original modern horizons it got a retro foil in the modern horizons 2 and then it has a secret layer version but that retro foil looking sweet as it does is at a lovely place to get picked up right now there's only 37 people selling it on TCG Player. It's at a lovely low point of around... You can get your copies for around $28. And it's already a relatively popular Commander card. It gives you the plus one counter. It gives you the proliferate. It's pro-white and pro-blue, which are two colors that have a lot of interaction. And it's just going to be awesome. There's a risk of it being in Modern Horizons 3. I give you that. But considering that it was in modern horizons one reprinted in modern horizons two i don't know that they want to do you know three in a row in terms of like a mythic well, and then four a mythic in a row because you, m-
0: you mentioned the secret layer printing in the interim
1: right which so i i think you'd be pretty well off to not hit this in modern horizons three but you know i've been wrong about stuff before i i feel good about this yeah, the the
0: the place I could actually see them reprinting swords would be in the Final Fantasy set.
1: Sure. Oh man. Oh my god, if we get like cloud swords all over the place. Yeah. Humana, 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 humina. Well, there's a, a lot of characters who have I'd buy that. swords.
0: And they can just do them all it's as the swords of something and something, right?
1: That's totally. I'm trying to remember legit.
0: if that's next summer or the summer after. It is twenty twenty five alongside marvel if i'm not mistaken so there's some time there's some time for this to appreciate you're right that the the um the time may be no better ever because this was about 12 bucks more expensive six months ago and has since faded a little bit i think that was because of the poison slash atraxa excitement coming out of hyrexia all will be one Sword of truth and justice got a big boost. I remember selling the Nils Hams ham copies last spring, and now that that pressure has let off a little bit, you are you know good to lead to find your entry point. Why while focus is on dinosaurs and vampires and mirror folk and so forth, and four pr- four printings in a couple like three or four years seems like a lot. So I think they'll probably leave this one alone for a little while. And you might well have the time to drain, drain up into the position you mentioned, 2845. I think that's pretty solid.
1: Yeah, I, I'm glad you agree.
0: All right, we don't have a, a super segment. We already covered the Lara Croft. So I guess I'll ask you, my friend, where can people find you online?
1: You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com.
0: You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG critic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com, my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. And I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the Pro ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering.
1: Once again, MTG Fast Finance is is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's finance with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for this week, James, but we're probably going to preview five more sets before next week.
0: Thank you very much, Cliff. Thank you all to the listeners. And we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Pass Finance.